0: Welcome back. Episode 31 of the Cutoffs and Coffee podcast. Your hosts here, James and CT. As always, we got our cutoffs on. We got our coffee next to us. We have a great conversation with you on episode 31 with coach and athlete Duncan Hewitt. Duncan was a former Butler Bulldog, uh, shout out to Indianapolis, 317, around the area where I'm from. He now is currently a professional baseball player and also in his off seasons when he's training, he also does some skill work in Westfield, Indiana at Pro X Athlete. We take a deep dive into everything baseball. We talk about not only the physical, but a lot about the mental side of the sport and how beneficial it is to really figure that side out to be able to help yourself perform on the field. We reminisce about some times where Duncan and I used to train together. It it, at this point was six, seven, eight years ago. Um, But the big takeaway that he and I both had from training together was the culture and how important it is to have friends and family and people you love who you train with. And this is a great conversation, not only for baseball players, but parents, athletes alike and also for big marvel universe nerds like duncan is
1: and this episode is going to be brought to you by by underdog fitness bands we are back in stock and this time we have a new mini red band it's a little thinner a little less resistance all right but we also have the green band the black band and that little red band and
0: if you'd like what we're doing here on the cutoffs and coffee podcast, show us some love, subscribe to us on YouTube, our YouTube channel, follow us on Spotify and Apple. Give us five stars, leave a comments, follow our individual social medias and let us know who you want to hear on the podcast. We also like to tease out some of the athletes and the high performers who we're going to have on the show. So it gives you the listener an opportunity to ask them questions. But after you do that, go ahead and hit pause, follow us on all of those things. And then go ahead and hit play and get into this awesome conversation. Episode thirty-one of the podcast with Duncan Hewitt. Enjoy.
2: Uh, yeah, that's that's one of the craziest things is I have literally seen guys uh, throughout you know my last five six years of college and pro ball there are guys that I know do not touch a weight room. They could drink four nights a week. They don't eat. They don't hydrate. All the things we studied, went to school for, and tell people every single day when we walk in Argent, and they don't do it, and they're fine. They'll throw ninety, they'll throw ninety-five, fine. They'll hit three hundred, and they'll say, "Oh my, my body hurts," and that's about it. They're a little yeah. sore. And then I know guys that are the exact opposite, and it's like, dude, if I had a sip of alcohol a month. For a start, I will not be okay. And they don't miss a beat in the weight room, they wouldn't miss a rep. They wouldn't take a so much as a second off of a time stretch. And that's how they are. But in, I think in baseball more than most sports, it's just a different beast because whatever you can, whatever works best for you, you have to run with it because it all comes down to the mental side of it. And when people feel their best is Apparently, sometimes it's hung over and sometimes it's it's like the exact opposite of that. Like I just said, like it's, it's so, it's so mind-blowing because I never thought it was like that, like at all. You know what I mean? Like I think you, you get this picture painted for you, like college to professional sports that like everybody is this perfect athlete that does everything right 24-7. And it's not even close to that. And a lot of guys that try to be that way they get burnt out really fast and it doesn't go great for them. And I learned that in college right away when I was like, wow, like this kid, Tyler Houston, who one of my best friends still now today, but like, dude, he led the big East in every offensive category. And he I don't even know how much he really liked baseball. Like he was he, just like, yeah, hey, I'm here. Like, I love being around the guys. I love doing all this and and, you know, the camaraderie and all that but he he didn't like have a dying will to go play professional baseball it's 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 insane
1: glad i started recording and that's the intro and that's the
0: intro intro. duncan welcome to the show man (laughs) thanks thanks uh thanks for joining us today
2: absolutely thank you for having me bro i've been looking forward to this for a long time
0: yeah, dude. Yeah. We um, just to give some people some background, uh, we met through coach Tyler Miller, who was on the who was on the podcast. Uh, so if you haven't listened to that episode yet, go back and listen to the uh, to listen to the cutoffs cut-off and coffee episode with Tyler Miller. So that's where we met. And we um, we were just kind of off air talking about th- just the days of just like throwing down. And there were there were pro baseball players, there were basketball players, NFL players, there were arena football players. There were Olympic weightlifters. Um, there were just strength athletes, everybody in the gym at the same time getting after it, um, building uh, just an incredible, uh, not only camaraderie with the athletes, but an incredible culture at the gym. And that's what we spent a lot of time with, with Coach Tyler Miller talking about. Um, and that's something that we'll eventually end up getting to here. But Duncan and I have, have been friends for a long time, had some really good conversations over social media, and decided to kind of take those conversations and put it in podcast form. And as you can tell from listening to the first three minutes of the podcast, we're already into it. Um, so we wanted to say hello. We wanted to welcome him to the show. And we want to, you know, of course, check off the, the questions that we like to ask to open up. But now that you've already gotten a, a little feel about where this conversation is gonna go, we'll ask these questions and we'll kind of come back to, to talking about um, you know, sports and, and the weight room and the culture. But Dunk, now that you're here, man, quick Google search, right? We can find out a little bit about yep. you, but what's something that we need to know about you that we can't find by a Google search?
2: Well, it's, uh, it's on this shirt, all right? It's on the shirt. That's why I didn't have a cutoff because I, I figured I'm not gonna wear a cutoff I got I to gotta represent, and it's going to be 100% me, right? And that's, that's Spider-Man. It's just, I, I am the Spider-Man fanatic. I'm the Marvel fanatic. Uh, we got Thor's hammer tattooed on me right here. Mjornir, Spider-Man on the tricep. Um, the whole arm is planned out for more Marvel comic book stuff. It's all kind of getting, getting done, you know what I mean? Um, but, yeah, like literally ever since 2000, the first Spider-Man, I was was two, three years old, bro. And like, I was was a fanatic then and I never grew out of it. I've never gone through this stage of like, I'm too old for this or like, I just don't feel the same way about it, which is crazy because every new movie that comes out, I seem to become more immensely like in love with these characters, the story, all that stuff. the comic books everything like what marvel's doing is just so fun for a comic book reader and um i mean you know spoiler alert to anybody that has not seen spider-man no way home i'm just gonna throw it out there right now it was the greatest and most perfect movie of all time and for a super fan like myself i i cannot put into words like what what it meant to me like for what that movie accomplished and and Everyone who's seen the movie knows exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not going to ruin it for someone that has not seen it, but literally like the most perfect thing in the world. So there you go. There you have it. I play video games in a little Marvel desk, like just literally stickered out posters everywhere. All my background screensavers, everything's Marvel tattoos, Marvel. I love Marvel.
0: And I I love that. I I do have a follow-up question for that. And I haven't seen the, the movie and bro, like, the last week we've been talking about, you know I mean? Like solidifying a time to have you on. I kept thinking like, man, I got to find a time to watch this movie. Cause I know it'd be an awesome, yeah. we'd have an awesome yeah. conversation about it. But um, you know, a couple, couple months ago, maybe last year sometime we had a, we had Jake Tura on and the thing that we needed to know about him, but he was, he, he was a big Batman fan. Okay. Right. So then my immediate question is who's your Batman, right? Um, which one of the Batmans was your favorite? So are you able to decide which, favorite Spider-Man you well, have, or is it just kind of the Spider-Man at the time?
2: It's honestly, it, it, it's Tom Holland, like through and through for me. Um, I, I actually have a really, I've really thought this out, like strangely, because um, honestly, another podcast that I like to listen to, uh, thedirect.com, um, it's uh, a guy from New Pal started it, and I had no idea until I started listening to him. But they did every Spider-Man movie in review leading up to Spider-Man No Way Home, which led to me really considering who is my favorite Spider-Man. And Tom Holland is probably the best young actor in Hollywood, like the way he brings out emotion and and he really makes you care about a dude that is running around New York shooting webs at people. Like at the end of the day, it's silly, right? But he makes you really care about it. And just, you know, the quips, the way he moves, he does a lot of his own stunts, which I can respect. I think that stuff's awesome. And, you know, that's not to say that Toby and Andrew Garfield don't have awesome stuff about them, but Tom Holland masters both, both Peter Parker and believing that he's the one in the suit. So he takes it for me. Andrew Garfield's probably a close second as far as actors go, but you know, Toby has the nostalgia, you know.
0: Dude, what an impressive skill set that that guy has. Oh um, and he's he's done a ton of different films that I've now kind of gone back and, and watched some of his other stuff. And James, this will make sense for the next question. Um, he's like, bro, where's, where's CT going with this? But it takes so much talent, right? To be able to not only optimize yourself physically to be able to do some of the stuff he's doing, but then also have to act, which is something I've gotten into in the last couple of years. And it's way harder than, Than people think, right? Just like athletes. You see a good athlete and you're like, oh, that's easy. I could do that. And then you go out there, right? And you catch a bullpen for you know a a, an MLB starter, right? And then you realize how hard the catcher, the position to play the catcher is, right? Same thing like good actors, right? You don't realize how good they are at acting because they make it seem so natural. Right. And, um, you know, I wanted to transition to this because again, like learning skills is so important. And I think it's so important that we continue to do it as we get older and especially, you know, athletes like lifetime athletes, like us, we're always trying to look to better ourselves and optimize ourselves. You remember the last skill that you learned or the last thing that you taught yourself or something that you're working on currently?
2: Yeah. Uh, well, so juggling has definitely been a big, um as of late uh i spent a lot of time on my off days uh trying to learn how to juggle in the bullpen i got it down pretty well um but on top of that a kind of a new one that i'm working on and i actually work on this with all my some of my young catchers that i give lessons to is we juggle together but it's like a transfer drill for uh throwing down a second base throwing guys out so i got start with one ball and I just throw it to him, have them transfer, throw it back. And then I give him two balls. Now that second ball, we throw a ball at the exact same time. And now you just got a ball cons- consistently coming at you. My really, really, really good ones, I can get three going. And I'm still looking for the one kid that I'm going to be able to get four going with. And that, I, that right there is, I don't even know if like I'm going to be able to handle it. I've never done four. Um, three, I... I haven't found much competition in some of these younger guys. I'm waiting to be challenged, you know what I mean? And that'll probably be the one that gets the fourth. Um, so they're the juggling, and uh, I really want to get back on the drums. Um, I used to beat around on them when I was younger. Got some of the basics down. My dad played his whole life. Um, he's still in a band today. And, you know, it's just very soothing. I think it's it's a different thing that'll take me away from like a competitive mindset my other biggest hobby is uh, video games and just being myself, I'm always like really competing when I play. So I'd never really like actually relax. So I think getting back maybe like playing the drums or an instrument would be nice to do something without like really hard competing, like mind numbing kind of thing, you know what I mean? So yeah, we'll kind of see about that probably next off season.
0: Yeah, dude, that's such a great form of meditation. I know James was learning the, what was it during quarantine? The banjo.
2: Banjo. Oh, wow. The y- ukulele. Yeah.
1: The ukulele. The ukulele. Excuse yeah. me.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's I just started, like- from what I understand.
1: Yeah, I still pull it out like once a month, but just for the same reason that you said is like it's so yeah. different than what I'm typically doing on a normal basis that it's just like you throw a youtube video out you learn a new song you forget it the next day but it's just yeah. like the process of being really bad at something that like you're so bad you can just kind of relax and just Absolutely. kind of play around and be a kid again
2: yeah that's,
1: that's
0: yeah i think it's, it's so it's so important for strength coaches too to like okay we're we're at the gym we're, you know, we're, we're at the gym working out and then we're training athletes. Then we're hanging out with strength coaches. Then we're having, we're hosting podcasts, talking about strength development. And then we're reading the books about strength training and then we're listening to podcasts. And there's gotta be that other thing that isn't super sympathetic all the time, right? You're not just like pounding and pounding and pounding. And I think playing music Um, sometimes playing video games can be like that. I've, I've actually got to the point where sometimes when, when I'm sitting down and eating, I'll just play videos of like streamers playing video games. um, Just because it's the one thing that gets me away from thinking about training. And I, I really like that. And and then I'll find myself like, Oh, I'd rather listen to Andrew Huberman talk about, you know, optimizing performance. And then I'm like, Oh, I'm right back there thinking about the same thing. So I think that's so good for, for us to be able to have. Um, Dude, let's talk about your story. You have such such a cool story. Talk to us about you know uh, growing up in in Indianapolis, everything that went on in, in high school, playing at Butler. Uh, that's a close place to, to my heart. Um, being in Indianapolis, and then your journey through professional baseball, and then to where you are now.
2: Yeah, um, I mean it's it's uh, it's funny when I when I read the outline, um, I really stopped and thought about it. Um, which I think every now and then, like, it really is nice to – it's nice to do. And and everybody – the one biggest piece of advice that I'm sure all three of us have had at some point and everybody listening is, you know, stop, take a breath because you're going to blink and it, it it could be over. You're going to be somewhere new. And, you know, oftentimes it's about high school or college or things like that. The, the, the last nine years have literally, like, gone by like like a snap blink of an eye and it's wild to think about because I've I've done so much and it all I guess like the big one really starts like probably sophomore year uh, at, at Lawrence North um, that was when I kind of really started to become who I was going to be and I started kind of separating myself from some of my uh, my friends that like I grew up with and was just always in school with but I I was playing varsity so that's when me and Nolan first became really tight and I kind of started hanging out with some of those guys and the environment that I was now around for the first time in my life was other people that really 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 wanted to win they really wanted to go play college baseball and it was all they cared about quite honestly I never had that a a group of friends that were as serious about it as, as I was until I met those guys So then that really started to push me, especially with them being older than me, to really like start like working and not just like, hey, I'm gonna go get some swings or, you know, I'm gonna go throw a little bit. Like it was literally like, nah, like this is what you do every single day because of where you wanna go. And anything else that you might have going on, like, for me, honest to God, it was homework quite a bit of the time. It really took a pack My parents did not like it very much, but, you know, it was what it was. And, like, literally, it was like, no, nah, I'm getting this done, and then anything else that comes after it, it is what it is. And that's where I started to get that stuff. And then I got to Force Barbell, and I can't even, like, really put into words, like, the difference that that made for me. When I got to Force, it was not only an eye-opening, of how much I love strength and conditioning and exercise science and really learning what makes somebody tick and how you can get stronger, when you need to get stronger, programming, all those little things that Tyler instilled in us. But, like, being around you and all the the NFL guys. And then, obviously, we had our little baseball group. And and, uh, Nathan Barna, that I remember, his powerlifting days, like – Dude was throwing up insane weight and it was like oh my gosh I'm around a bunch of like dudes right now and I was like at the bottom like as far as like athleticism strength um I mean I think just overall like you know body composition any of that stuff right and that really pushed me and I fell in love with it so deeply where like I literally couldn't just I couldn't wait to get back in that building it was like dude I like sitting in class, like we need to go train. I can't wait to get in there. And somehow it made 40, 40 reps of kettlebell swings, like seem not so bad. I mean, I think, I think we both remember, like, I remember seeing that on my program the first time. And I was just like, this dude's crazy. <laughs> Tyler is, Tyler is crazy. And, you know, but he, he meant every, every single rep of it. He was going to sit there and watch and make sure he did every single rep. And that is the stuff that as I signed and went to Butler, um, it really started to grow on me and it, it became my default. It's what I fell back on. Um, my freshman year went really, really, really poorly. I was coming off of an incredible senior season. Um, there was thoughts that maybe I could get drafted, just wasn't quite ready um, and The fall was a breeze for me, Uh, truth be told, like, I think I hit like 350 or something. I earned the starting job and everything was normal. I had never been on a team where I wasn't going to show up and be in the lineup. I was always the catcher. I was always, I was, that's just how it was. And I, I, nothing was different. Uh, And I started off the year really well in the spring. I was hitting like 300, hit a few homers. My first college homer was a game-winning homer. It was a pinch hit in the bottom of the eighth. I uh, came in out of nowhere. First pitch I saw hit a homer, and uh, so life was good. And then we went to our first conference weekend. Now college is different than high school because even though the scouting reports exist, people know you, people actually now have the stuff to get you out. Instead of high school, they didn't necessarily always have the stuff. Tough, unless it was ash russell that we would face michael back those guys. so seton hall in 12 at-bats i struck out 11 times i got i walked once i saw one fastball in all in those 12 at-bats and that one fastball i hit a homer foul and then i got another breaking ball and i struck out so i got slider after slider after slider after slider and for the first time in my career i was mentally defeated like, did not have an answer, did not know where to go, did not know what to do. And um, it was really, really challenging, really hard for a long time. Um, like, probably, I'd say almost almost a year, a year-long struggle of, like, fixing my what was going on in my head, maybe some adjustments that I had in my swing, stuff like that, um, and getting my confidence back. Uh came back my sophomore year, got it right back. Um, eventually... And I think I hit like 350, 400-ish throughout conference. So I kind of really did the exact opposite as I did my the year prior. So then going into junior year, draft year, everything was looking great. Got off to a great start. Uh, 14 games in, tore my meniscus. Just, you know, as as what what we know, I mean, it was just overuse. It was eventually probably going to happen one way or another. It was probably already at least slightly torn, and I just went down to block a ball, and it popped. I got up, popped again, and, you know, I just played the rest of the game, and once the adrenaline and and the caffeine and things like that got out of me, that's when the pain sat in, and I ended up missing the whole year after that, did not get drafted, um, and then came back uh, for my senior year, uh, and then, boom, COVID. Same exact day as the day I got hurt, by the way, which is just, it was wild. It was weird because I woke up that day and I had a little reminder on my phone um, that it was like my one year anniversary that I had set, um, you know, just as a kind of like a thing to be grateful for. Um, and sure enough, it was, it was the day that the season got canceled and you, well, the world shut down. Uh, so then from there went back for a fifth year, so it was two extra years in college that I wasn't planning for. Um, and I ended up actually missing 11 games at the start of the year. I was academically ineligible. Um, that's a whole other weird, fun, crazy story. Uh, it was it was less than a percent of a grade. And then, you know, I kind of just struggled a little bit, but then I went out to the draft league after that, uh, played for Coco Crisp, can't even uh, – imagine like to put it into words like how much he helped me um the things I learned from him and then after the draft I ended up signing with the Utica Unicorns in the USPDL and Independent League and now I'm I'm finally in a sense living like the life I've always wanted to live playing professional baseball waking up training every day and giving lessons when uh when I uh when I can and it's you know like kind of all came to a a real slow like pause almost like it seems like i was going 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 like didn't know where i would be or things were just changing for a really long time and this is like the first time that i've almost been just like on like autopilot where it's like all right i know what i'm doing and now i can just kind of go do it you know what i mean yeah and that is a Quick cliff notes version of the story of Duncan.
1: Oh, man, that's, I appreciate you sharing your background. And, you know, we, we've worked with a lot of athletes, obviously that's what we do in the performance facility and in that injury cycle of, of yeah. what it does to you mentally, what it does to you, um, you know, physically, most right. of us either have an athletic background that get into strength and conditioning and have probably dealt with that. And, um, you know, how were you able to get your identity back? And then during that injury cycle, were you able to kind of recreate a new identity that wasn't so dependent on your athletic performance that kind of helped you through that?
2: Yeah, I, I actually almost, I took a step back before I could take that step forward. Um, what happened was when, uh, I got cleared to go, I actually started lifting, um, more than I typically would at that time of the year. Now, what I was always full blown 100% in the weight room, but um, February to September, those were always like maintenance phase, like I'm playing. So I was never really getting after it. So I had all that time of the year that was never truly programmed and it was never truly meant to get stronger. Well, I wasn't cleared to catch and play, but I was, cleared to lift so now I was in the weight room with my strength coach at Butler every single day like getting after it. I mean like absurdly like getting after it, like chasing numbers that I hadn't even hit that before I got hurt and it ended up leading to what our conversation was that me and CT had on Instagram I got way too big way too stiff and I had to tone that back and that actually is what led me to having to figure it out mentally because I kind of realized everything that it took if that makes sense you know what I mean like I had to I had to almost get knocked down again when I thought I was doing the right thing to really see what I actually needed to needed to do
1: and and typically I'll ask a question um, about a time in your career where you had a paradigm shifting moment um, yeah. about what you feel like strength and conditioning should be for an athlete yeah. um is that kind of that moment uh, where you started perceiving what goes on in the weight room yeah. uh not to be like an x plus b equals outcome yes. um, from a athletic performance standpoint could you dive into that kind of concept a little bit
2: yeah absolutely that i that is that is why um you know i think like just with the first question of, like, kind of, like, my background, like, I take it all the way back to force, like, or, or what I did at LN, because I'm a firm believer that we all go through this process when we're younger athletes, that, you know, we go through that first hypertrophy phase, and, man, is it fun, like, you don't even have to bulk, Right, like you don't have to care about what you eat, you don't don't care about anything, you are just for the first time, you're lifting, you're doing reps, so your body naturally is just like, I'm going to get bigger now. And everybody falls in love with it. And that's what um, initially got me so in love with the weight room. But I realized that like when we get to college or professional sports, we don't get told what to do after you get big enough. Or almost too big in a sense, or what is your actual goal look like? So now you gotta start kind of really being unique to who you are as a player, especially in baseball. You know, like do you really need to be 6'4", 265 when you're five nine and your like best build might really be around one eighty-five, one ninety. And it's not to say you're not gonna be strong. And that is where I started really looking at what we do in the weight room and what I was learning in college, what I was doing in college, like what my programs looked like. And it was all kind of like wishy-washy, you know what I mean? It was like straight out of the book sometimes. And that, that wasn't by no means. If any of my three beautiful strength coaches at Butler end up hearing this, I promise I'm not talking about you guys. They know who I'm talking about. And it was like we had one program here and then like the women's lacrosse team had the exact same program. I was like, okay, like, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like, what is my why? What is, what is the reason for all this? And, you know, now when I look in the weight room and I see a baseball player that is, you know, big and he's strong, but his form is horrible. It's just, you know, he's belting up the squat 225. Or he's, he's ripping, smelling salts, smelling salts are all of a sudden some huge thing in the baseball world. And, you know, they want to hit like like a two, 225 bench, whatever it might be. I'm like, where did you learn this? You know what I mean? Like, who told you this is going to make you hit better? And and it's like, it's honestly something that I don't even really think I have like the straight up answer for outside of what we make still seem to be the right way or seem to be cool or, or if people just straight up aren't getting the right direction, but it's really, really interesting. And honestly, really scary because a lot of guys are getting put down the wrong path because of it. And
0: yeah, man, you, you, you bring up a couple good points there. Um, and James, was it, I don't know if it, we were recording yet, but you had mentioned, you know, something along the lines of when I get, you know, throwing the ball around, and I get in the weight room with these big leaguers. We start to realize how unimportant our job is sometimes as strength coaches. And 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 I think Duncan, all that stuff that you you went through when you were in the weight room and you were getting big and strong, and you know every and and it push this, push this, take the salts, lift more weight. Um, I think we try to justify the reasons we do things as yep. strength coaches. And say because we want to be the ones who said, I did that. Look yep. what I got with my athlete, right? Which is like a which is a funny thing. Like, no, this was an athlete, this dude was away an athlete way before you were. But right. no, my athletes, I'm doing this. Like I got him to front squat 315, right? Because we need yeah. to show that there that somebody's paying us, and this is why they're paying us to be able to get this. But what ends up being the only thing that matters is production on the field. Right. And like, how can we be better? Do you think from your, from, you know, what you went through, how can we be better in communicating that point as strength coaches to athletes to to let them understand that, listen, like, yes, this is important to stay healthy for longevity purposes, for cardiovascular purposes. This is very important, but the most important part is to be better at the skill of your sport. How, How can we communicate that better?
2: That's that is a perfect question because I think that if, if there was um, if there was a blueprint for it, you know, I think there'd be a, a lot more people knocking at the big league door. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it'd be that's a great point. more challenging to it'd be even harder to get there. Because I think the way that we can go about it is is not the relationships. Yes, like I think that stuff's important, like having them trust you, but I feel like that's kind of just surface level. Like it's really understanding, you know, who you're talking to and what is going to make them understand it and click with it. Because I think a lot of times some of the knowledge that we we might spread is almost wasted when you're talking to an athlete that at the end of the day could care less if their career ended tomorrow and that is a very challenging thing I think to find where you know you want to tell them like hey like dude like I like this is the way almost you know what I mean like this will really and truly like put you next level like really help you take that next step and they're like I don't really care if I take that next step you know what I mean like I, it is what it is and they might sit there and say like oh yeah yeah yeah, for sure for sure for sure and then you know they they post on Instagram or something, but it's the ones that like, really love it. And they really, really, really want to make it to that next level. Like it's almost like finding them and it's, and just kind of being like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you to do this and you're going to lead the way and people are going to want to see you do it. And they're gonna be like, Oh, it was right all along. You know what I mean? I don't think it's something that you can herd everybody to do. It's almost got to be like, you know someone goes and does it you're secretly behind the scenes like pulling it and making it all happen and then everybody sees it and they're like yes because you know I think that's how sadly that's how things go like if LeBron came out tomorrow and said this is how I train this is exactly what I do and it was a full-on program there would be thousands thousands of athletes not just basketball players like hey well this is what I'm doing you know what I mean
1: and I think. That, how
2: much, sorry, go ahead, John. Yeah,
1: and I think that is a great like tie into the concept of right. Uh, you know, as a strength and conditioning coach, is it more important for us to get an athlete to fall in love with the program or fall in love with yeah. the process oh. of leveling up as a human?
2: Yeah.
1: And and because you know we talk about it, a program is just letters and numbers on a piece of paper, yeah. uh, but falling in love with leveling up as a human that involves a lot of different things outside of what we do in the weight room and you know our effect on the athletes that are in front of us um hopefully if we're doing a good job listening and hearing those conversations and and communicating that that we can actually help them make better choices because they want to make better choices outside of the performance facility um you know you you see um You've seen professional level athletes that you've worked with. You're a professional athlete, uh, but you also do lessons with younger kids. Um, What are some of the things and moments that you've seen that really just like spark kids attention, like the youth kids um, that start to understand that like, oh, I can level up as a human um, versus like, oh, I need to do 10 blocking drills today because coach told me to.
2: Yeah, well, um, it's actually funny. I have a perfect example is uh, last night. Um, so I have I have a kid that I have a few times a week, and I always know how much he slept the night before based on literally his facial expression when he says hello. It's either like there is no soul inside your body, or you are a ten year old. You know what I mean? You are jumping around. You're giddy. You're ready to go. And last yeah well yesterday he walked in the cage and I looked at him and I said you're you're tired. When'd you go to bed last night? I said, five I said, 5. five. Would you go to bed? He said new season. of Apex came out. He was playing all night. We woke <laughs> up at like three today. Cause they didn't have school. They had like a built-in day or something. And I was like, dude, like, come on now. You know what I mean? So I had to kind of like give him the, well, I don't care how much you slept. You still gotta, you still gotta bring it today kind of thing. And He was really struggling with a specific drill off the machine that he does really, really well. And I kept asking him over and over again. I said, Why are you struggling? Why are you struggling? Why are you struggling? You know, he said, mechanics or, you know, this or that. The ball was bouncing too high up on him. I just kept asking him. And finally he goes, I'm tired. I said, Yep, you're tired. So you did not sleep enough. You are not ready to go. You're not properly fueled. Your body is missing a lot of these things that it needs, that makes you do these things with ease. And I just like his eyes, like kind of like lit up. He was like, "Oh, was like, so it does." He was like, "That that stuff really does matter." He's like, "But how could it matter when, you know, like I woke up hours ago and like I feel fine." I was like, "Well, you might feel fine, but like that doesn't mean like you know you're." your sense of what's going on around you is okay. Or like, you know, your, your ability to make decisions and like really do what we need to do as catchers, like that stuff's all off. So we have this little game we play where I slap his hands and he's got to move his hand. And I just sat there and was just whacking him over and over again. And he was like, Oh my gosh, like, this is so weird. You know what I mean? So I told him the next time I see him, I want him to get full eight hours, eight to 10 hours a night before I see him and we're going to do everything again, and I'm gonna. we're going to see how, how that pans out. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, dude, that would be such a cool moment for him to hopefully recognize that, and it's tough at that age too, right? Like I always say ready and willing. You know, if the athlete's ready and willing to understand and to take in the information I'm giving him, then we'll be able to make progress from that. But if they're not ready and willing, right, like we talk about just – Some some of the college athletes who come in, hey, I'm just I'm just here so I don't get in trouble from from the coach so I don't have to do my, you know, my burpee punishment. It's like that's the only reason I'm here. Right. And I understand that. Okay, so just come in here again for health reasons, but really the ones who want to be great, hopefully are going to, you know, continue to kind of give us their effort, whether they're they're low of sleep or have maximized sleep. But hopefully they can kind of figure it out um you know and and understand how good you feel when you've actually slept and when you've eaten right and when you've had enough carbs and you and you you know have have kind of dialed up everything else um going on in your life i i want to go back to the to the comment that you made like earlier so what if lebron james comes out with a program right like this yes. is the bron program this is what you're yes. going to do like yes. you got to buy the program then you got to buy the shoes right but then after that like you're going to be lebron the first thing that i thought about when you said that is okay let's say a thousand people buy the LeBron James training program. How many more LeBron Jameses do we then have from that program? Probably zero, right? I would, I would argue zero. It
2: would be an anomaly if one came out. He
0: would have already been
2: LeBron James 2.0. He would have already been it. It would just happen to do it.
0: Right. And then it would be, you know, the, the individual behind the whole thing, selling the program, making all the money from it is the only one who's actually benefiting from the program. So again, it kind of goes back to like, what really matters. And it's cool to hear that you're doing those things in the cages. Like, I'm okay. I'm not just saying, you know, Mitt's gotta be here. This is how I feel this ball. Like you're doing things like having those deeper conversations of, Hey, this is happening because you are underslept hey, this is happening because you didn't get as many wins last night in Apex season three as you wanted and, and all yeah. of those things, right? Um, what are some of the things that you've seen? And again, this this can be the athletes you've worked with or yourself that have kind of driven you to come back, like you mentioned at force, it driven you to come back into the, into the gym or into the skill work um, because it was more fun and it was thing that you enjoyed as opposed to, you know, just monotonous four by tens over and over again in, in the weight room. Are there other are things that you've really attached to because you've enjoyed doing it um, as opposed to just knowing that you've had to do it. And if you have, what, what are some of those things?
2: Yeah. I, at least for me personally, it's kind of been the, the Holy cow moment, like five months after like you kind of set out to like with whatever your goal is, right? Like we always had our goals, of force and it was, um, you know, he, Tyler always had us overshoot him a little bit, right? Like, he, I remember I wrote 400-foot bombs on a program one time. He made me write 500-foot bombs. To my knowledge, I have not hit a ball 500 feet yet, but, like, I, I love that he did that because it's like I'm still chasing it. And, Bro, I
0: remember that on the – I can picture yeah. it at the top of that program. That's yes. so funny. And we had said the that.
2: shirts that said uh, triple digits, D-I-J-E-T-S, because Nolan didn't know how to spell digits. <laughs> Oh my gosh! It's so yeah, cool. yeah. Remember it well. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it's it's literally it's it's those things like it's those goals. It's those like oh my gosh, like this is starting to pay off moments that just suck me right back in every single time. And you know, like it, it's finding that I still have that shirt that says triple digits, and I remember wearing it um, into the gym one day, and it wasn't even like a lower body day but I just felt like I had to squat like I had that shirt on and I was like I feel like I got to squat today like it just just for for the culture of force Bob while I'm squatting today. and and it's those those itty bitty thing because I think about when I first walked in that building I could barely squat to parallel let alone actually get good depth and get a good rep in that would actually help me like I first started squatting the PVC pipe until I even got under a bar, like Tyler wouldn't let me until I could do it right, and it's like, oh my gosh, like it's just so crazy to see where you've come, and 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 then you know all these little goals that kind of become in the off season. Like uh, this year, it was, um, you know, I just simply wanted to learn how to program a professional off season for myself better, and I'm I'm learning a whole lot about it, and it's just those little things that I think it's just. You know, it proves that I love it, I think, in my opinion, because, like, it's never felt like work to me. It's just, like, you know, something I get to do. You know what I mean?
1: With, yeah, I mean, like, so you're programming for yourself, and I think that's, like, probably the hardest thing I've ever tried to do and i always fail miserably at it um what are some things that you have in this off season enjoyed or what are some things that you put down on paper that you were like nope i'm not doing this
2: i uh <laughs> well it's funny i really really enjoyed um my like triphasic set that i did so i i love doing triphasic i've done it the last three off seasons and i i think it'll be a staple every single off season for me. Um, But what I learned is that I did it way too early, like scary early in my off season because I'm still almost two, three weeks away from leaving. And I did this like over a month ago at this point. So I was almost like close to like peaking and getting like really, really ready to go. And I still had so much time until I even had to leave. And now I was just used to having to be ready by February. So I loved that part because it's my favorite program, but I did it very wrong. The one thing that I put down on paper, and I think I've put it on almost every single program, and I go like two to three weeks at a time, and then I try and switch some stuff up, is uh, that these these like planks that we used to do at Force, where you like force yourself into like perfect posture, and it's like, you don't really feel it until you find it. And then you find it and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm the weakest human being alive. I keep putting those on my program as if I'm actually going to do them like every single day. <laughs> and I don't, I don't like, I, I don't know what it is, but like, I see it and I'm like, ah, uh, yeah, but you know, like I did that one thing and it was today. So that's, I guess that'll work. <laughs> like it's, I keep running from them.
0: Bro, that's so funny. Ready and willing, right? Like, so James and I are the lunge guys now, right? James is 140, 40,
1: 41, 100, day.
0: 141 days straight of 15 minutes of walking lunges ends up being, you know, about 800 meters. And the first time I really started lunging was, I mean, it, you know, would have been eight years ago now when we were, when we were training together and I always told myself I needed to do it. I should go heavier. I should go heavier. And I wouldn't, and I would never even, I wouldn't pick up 50s. I would get screamed yeah. at for not picking up 40s. Now I'm almost 35 years old and I'm doing lunge workouts with hundred-pound does for reps, right? Like yeah. front squat grip reverse lunge and for 315. And yeah. I just wasn't ready to understand the importance of that, of that exercise.
2: Yeah.
0: Um you know, and and it's it's not without the coaches trying to get me to to do it it's not without the athletes around me lifting heavier and me wanting to chase them because all that was happening but yeah. i think honestly it was a time where like i always trained in sweatpants and i didn't have very strong legs and i didn't have a quad at all so i'm like yeah, yeah i'm not going to do it and you know maybe it just took a little bit of lunges, a little bit of uh, a push from, from to get me to lunge more often. Um, Started doing some distance lunges, started to get a little, little quad teardrop. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh yeah, I need to do these heavy lunges every day. Um, But So like, you're not the only one who goes through that. We're not the only ones who go through that. If you're listening, we understand, we understand it. Just, you know, take chop away at it here and there. Um, do it when you can. Right. But also, if you know what's super important, you should you should do it more often. Um, dive in a little more because you, you talked about how excited you were about the the triphasic training. Yeah. Um, we had a we had Greg Hersega, a volleyball coach on couple months ago and he talked about it. And then James asked a great question. He said, what's your favorite and what's your least favorite, um, you know, part of, of the, of the training. And um, so I want to hear those, your, your favorite and your least favorite. And then I also want to hear how you use that for, for yourself.
2: Okay. Um, well, easy. My favorite is the eccentric and my least favorite is the ISO. I, I, man, I, th- I, I don't know how many people will disagree with me there. The ISO suck. They're not fun. They're boring seven seconds seems to be 30 seconds. Like I need, I, I put my, my, my phone in front of me as like the timer and I swear like it gets to five and it just doesn't go anywhere. It's just like, just stops. It stops and you're like, oh my gosh, like it turned off. It's got to be seven seconds, right? But so yeah, and, and the way I, I've used it for myself is uh, I actually three years ago at a strength coach, Will Burchett, butler and he was the one who first introduced me to Triphasic, um just straight two weeks two weeks two weeks and quite honestly like i looked at the program and i had never heard of it never seen it and i was like it doesn't look like we're doing a whole lot like it kind of just looks like you know we're gonna we're gonna focus on this and there's not a whole lot of accessories to it like what's the main purpose and he was like bro just trust me like you're gonna feel quicker you're gonna feel faster and you're really gonna feel more stable I was like, okay, you know, I mean, whatever, sure. And and sure enough, like we went through the program and we started um, maxing and testing. And on a day that I had class for five hours, three hour practice, and couldn't tell you how really well fueled I was, I hit 605 on a deadlift for three. And... I couldn't believe that I did it. I mean, I literally like my earliest testing on that had probably been around 500 to 520. So this was like a gigantic jump and it moved really well. So immediately I was like, all right, this program, this is it. And now I've integrated it where I'm not necessarily chasing those insane numbers, but I'm chasing always how I felt after that program. So, uh, you know, the I go three weeks now that I have a longer, um, a longer schedule, a longer off season. So, the first week is uh, a higher tempo with very lightweight, like, 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 honestly, almost like 50%, where I'm really holding whatever position I need to hold like perfectly to a T. Then, that second week, I do that exact same tempo. But I'll take it up to about sixty to seventy percent based on how it feels, um, and then third week I'm going I'm going heavier but not too heavy. But I'm really trying to push myself to see what I can get out of it. And I I don't play with the tempo or the reps a whole lot. I keep it right around five to seven seconds for both the eccentric and the iso. I've at least for me I found playing with the weight has helped me more than the time because I think it's the, the the time under tensions there, but it's almost like the stress that I'm putting on me is bringing a different a different way about it out of it. I don't really, you know what I mean? And so by the time I'm done with it, I'm, and I'm in that concentric phase, which I really just do a whole lot of like French contrast with I'm feeling bouncy, I feel quick twitch. I, my body feels really, really good, which is the most important thing for me especially with, with my hips, I'm really, really tight. So like, if I can move that weight fast, be in really good positions and not wake up the next day, like needing a walker, everything is really, really good. And I I feel like I get that best out of, out of that triphasis.
0: You had mentioned the deadlift Um, trap bar. Is that a trap bar deadlift? Yeah. So insane. Um, What are some other exercises that you like to push during those? During those sessions, what are some of your uh, favorites?
2: For like accessories, or just like in general?
0: Just like the main, the main lifts.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, for the for the squat, um, I I go uh, everything's on the safety bar, and uh, I've actually found it really really fun to do like a Hatfield squat, so arm or hands assisted, and uh, just loaded up. But for the eccentric putting uh, the pins down at right about where my depth would be. So I'm going all the way down to the depth and then just letting the weight go. That, that i found that that allows me to go heavier and really put more focus on the eccentric. I feel like sometimes when we do the eccentric down and then the squat up, you lose a little bit because you can't go as heavy or you're just kind of a little more Pressured once you get down, you kind of start getting down to your depth and you got to go up um, and for the, uh, so that's kind of the same for the eccentric and the ISOs. Uh, for the deadlift, um, I kind of go away from just a straight deadlift and I do like a deadlift to an RDL. So the RDL will be the eccentric and then rep it up, drop it and then reset, go again. For the bench, um, I love pin press um for the concentric work and then honestly just having the uh the pins down there ready the same as the squat for for the eccentric down and then the iso i switched to a uh i can't i can never remember the name of this bar it has the uh neutral grips for it um and uh you know what i mean it's it's a little lighter yeah, yeah
0: i'm thinking of it too um, Yeah,
2: now, and you know it's on the tip it's of my tongue, got a couple right? of the different
0: yeah, a, couple yeah, yeah, different yeah. Grips, right? a
2: little wider and a little closer Um, and I use that one for, uh, for the ISOs because just, um, over time, I've felt that that's a little bit better of a position for me. Um, and everything is partnered up with some explosive. So, you know, whether it be, you know, a plyo med ball throw, uh, and it's honestly, at this point in my career, it's kind of like whatever I'm feeling that day. So I remember, you know, like I used to think like, all right, I'm squatting. I have to go do a vertical jump deadlifting I have to do a broad jump but I've started kind of getting really playful with it because it just kind of gets you know a little over and over again like a little worn down so I've started doing a lot more like med ball jumps or like just see how far I can throw a med ball um and things like that to spice it up a little bit and then as far as accessories things like that it's a little more just basic like um three by eight basic stuff just to just to make sure that you're still moving and things like that.
1: Now, as you kind of, you know, go through these programs, do you have any like performance metrics that you're keeping track of, or are you looking at any of the statistical outcomes from a baseball performance side that, that you pay attention to um, yeah. during your off seasons?
2: Um, I, I pay a lot of attention to the most important, in my opinion, is how my body feels but there's a lot of things that go along with it. So big one for me is my weight. Um, I I So when I got too big, I got around 225 to 230. So I have that little, you know, kind of like that roadblock almost like, hey, like this is where you're gonna really need to start checking in on yourself. So I stay around 212 to 216. Um, And so that's something that I really pay attention to. And as my weight goes up, if I still feel the same that I did when I, it was two I'll allow myself to maybe go a little more because if I can get bigger and feel that way, absolutely. I'm gonna let myself. Now from the baseball side, um, I, I don't really pay attention to like what my maxes might be, but I am watching how the ball comes off my bat, how I throw. um, And that's, I've not. I haven't necessarily gotten into that point where I'm reading it just yet. That I'll actually come here in the next couple of weeks, like we use Soto TrackMan to see exit velos or, or you know, the pitchers already use it all the time, like for their mound velos when they throw bullpens and things like that. I think that stuff is a, like, just it's a right away. It's an indication of like where your body's at because I don't think I'm I'm gonna train and just all of a sudden start hitting 130 mile an hour, you know laser beams at the plate but I do know that at one point in my career I averaged around 95 like to 98 so this year if I'm averaging 98 to 100 something's gone in the right direction
1: and kind of I want to tie that into um you know being being a catcher um you actually can have a different perspective on like pitchers off seasons and how they work um you know i i we see this so much just plastered all over social media whether it's um you know this account or this account or this facility or this facility of like we're still kind of early in the off, like you know later into the off season but like yeah. guys are just going max effort velo's year round yeah. from a pitching standpoint like do you ever get to like be teammates with guys that are like posting these videos of them throwing 98 pull downs and then yeah. they get into season with you and they're like 90 to 91 off the mound and like like is that common or or is that just you know
2: it's too common yeah yeah and
1: and why do you think that happens and and like where you know where are some of the mistakes along their path to prevent them from like sitting at 93 versus like this huge peak and flow with 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 lacking consistency
2: i mean uh Well, you know, I mean, if you think that we've like done a deep dive at all up until this point, I think like this is this is probably it right here. Right. Like this is like this is the conversation that CT and I like started and, and wanted to get into it. It is unbelievably common to see it nowadays. And like the other day I saw 2024. So it's a sophomore in high school. Getting a getting, he has a shirt off. He gets slapped on his back like he's about to hit a 500-pound squat. Sprints ten, you know, ten steps, and and throws the ball as hard as he can. It's like 70 something. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, like, is this really like what our culture is becoming? Like, is this what we're doing? You know what I mean? Like, this is what we're worried about right now. And and it's almost like embarrassing to be quite honest with you now properly programmed at the right time done the right way if it works for you i have zero problem with it like to each his own man go do you like like i said at the very beginning of the podcast like if it works for you it works for you but the issue i have is posting it on instagram and saying here's your formula this is it this is what's going to get you to wherever it is that you want to go. Because there are way too naive of kids out there, man. Like they're gonna see that and literally think, yep, cool. I got no one to teach me, no one to show me how to really do it, but saw it, cool, we're gonna go do it. And now you have a bunch of kids that are getting hurt. You got kids that are just way outside of their knowledge, doing things the wrong way. And on top of that, the community, I don't think there's ever been a bigger divide in in the baseball community because everybody has the answer. Everybody has a secret form. And it's not just for the, the pull-downs. There is a fun trend on Twitter. I don't know how much you guys have seen it, or if any of your guys have brought it up, is, is, uh, is guys that literally are saying they reinvented the way people hit. So instead of swinging, you swing backwards, you snap, you don't externally rotate, you don't use the ground, all these things that are literally basic science. Don't even get me started. But you got people that literally argue about it day in and day out. And I can't imagine being a younger athlete seeing these things and basically having to pick a side. And whichever side you choose, it's like, good luck to you, kid. You know what I mean? Like, you chose this path. Now do with it what you will. Like, hope you make it. And it, it's just its so wrong. It makes no sense.
0: Because it's so much easier to argue programming over Twitter than it is to actually go in a gym and see if the energy is the same way that it was like when you walked – into force so many years ago. And I know we keep bringing these up and, and you know, again, context for the listeners, it's just a place where like people fell in love with the process. Right. And, and again, it can be a gym. It can be a, it could be an elementary school. It could be a basketball court. It could be, you know, like a a fenced in play area, whatever that place Mm -hmm. is for you. This was one of those places for us. And it's, it's so easy to just, argue about that stuff on on Twitter and on Instagram and flex about what you know and what you can do, but it's very hard to feel and create the environment that is created in those places where, again, in our situation, it was a gym, but for everybody it's different, where athletes can go in and feel comfortable and feel like family and fail in front of people and come back and be confident and trust other people um, and that I think is why everything keeps going that way. And, you know, unfortunately it's not just in baseball. It's in, it's in football. It's in other sports. I'm sure it's in combat sports where people just want to say like, Hey, I know this, this is the way to do it. But nobody wants to talk about like how, like you mentioned, like how about all the athletes getting hurt from yeah. trying all these things and never selecting one thing to stick to. Cause we know if you spend some time, sticking to something and do it consistently and you do it with intent, you will have progress period. We, we understand that in anything, anything you want in life. Um, But that doesn't make as much money or give you as many followers or give you as many likes as it does. If you say, Hey, this is the way to go. Yeah. This is what you have to do. Right. So, what are you doing to, to, to try to help that? Cause I know there are things that, you know, that, that we try to do on a daily basis and you obviously already having these conversations is helping that yeah. process. Right. So like, what, like what are you able to do on your platform and with the athletes you work with that you're able to kind of help them steer through what's right and what's wrong out there?
2: Yeah. Well, honestly, like I am, I am as, like straightforward as I possibly can be with anybody and I never turn it down. I turn it up when it's an older athlete. So a high school kid, like if I get a question, uh, I, I do not hold back. I, I like, you know, like there's some guys that'll come up to me in here, whether it's about catching or hitting. And, and, you know, they say, hey, I've been told to do this. And I know for a fact that it will cause more problems than good, I'd straight up tell them, I don't care who told you that, that's wrong. Like, And most of the time, nine times out of 10, it is a cookie cutter, straightforward, you are doing it this way and this way only way of going about things. And the thing I always tell them is, how about you do one before you do two? Go find out who you are, Go find out what your swing might actually be, what, your, what causes the problems that you might have, and then come back and talk to me or go and see if you want to work on something such as this. And with the platform that I have, you know, as far as, you know, Instagram, Twitter, and things like that, I think, you know, I make a lot of people mad sometimes. I really and truly do. But it's because same exact thing. I don't hold back. If I see someone on Twitter that, you know, is not good for an athlete, like I say, it, and, and it makes a lot of people really upset, but you know, the ones that get upset, they feel personally attacked and they feel personally attacked because they've probably been doing that. And there's a big difference between sharing advice, sharing knowledge, throwing out tips and saying, you're going to go do this this way right now. There you go. Boom. And that's what people do. And that's where the disconnect is. It's like, I coach, I help, I, I share knowledge, I give advice, but you'll never hear me tell a kid, like, if you don't do this, I'm not going to talk to you. Every one of my guys knows that like, you can tell me this feels off. I don't like this. And we'll, we'll, we'll find a new way. But you got another guy that that's like, go do this. Like, here you go. Like, I'm going to tell you to take your back. And you're gonna swing backwards, all right? And then you're gonna you're gonna ballerina spin around and do a cartwheel. And you're like, bro, why why would I do that? I don't want to do that. Well, because I told you to, all right. Because I told you to, and it just it drives me crazy. And like that's that's my biggest thing. If a coach tells you to do something, weight room on the field, training, whatever, and you tell them, okay, can you tell me why? If they cannot tell you why. You're with the wrong person straight up. You're with the wrong person.
1: That uh, So I just had a conversation about a week ago with a, a college pitcher that I work with. I've known him since he was in, in high school. Um, he's, he's a pretty, he's a flamethrower. Um, yeah. But, you know, he, he changes what he does on a regular basis based on how he feels. He's a very cerebral kid. Um, and he's like the kid you're afraid of as a strength coach in the weight room. Uh, because one he's one of the stronger guys in the weight room and two he's always going to ask that question Uh, so he was talking to me about how he was in the weight room and he he does the team lift uh, whatever that main strength movement is and then he does his accessory work Um, and so then the coach is like hey man I need you to do our accessory work and he's like okay um, like I want to understand why we're doing these specific movements I really like feel good about doing these and the coach is like, you're going to do them because I'm the strength coach and I'm telling the team to do them. And he's like, well, okay. So like, how's this going to help me? And he just goes back and forth with, the, yeah. with that conversation. And he's like, he is, he is like feeling personally attacked by that strength coach saying like, no, 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 you, you need to do this because it's, yeah. it's on the board. And, and, and he's not getting that, that reasoning. And, um, and, and we see a lot of that with um, strength coaches from other sports um, in, in that, in you know, and, and that's why like me personally, like if I'm working with baseball players, I'm starting to play catch again. If I'm working with yeah. football players, I'm starting to sprint again. Um, Like, you know, how, how are you able to relate, you know, your personal experiences to the clients that you have, especially starting at a young age to yeah. say like, Hey man, like these are the mistakes I've made. Hey, these are the things that have really helped me. But like these things that have helped me might not help you. And these things that aren't always the best thing for, for me might, might help you. Um, and, and like, what, what kind of autonomy do you, do you allow your kids to have kind of with, with the work you do with them to find their own way and, and to yeah. be critical thinkers? Because like, you know, my goal is to not be the last strength coach of the kids I work with. I want to be right. the first strength coach. Right. Um, and, and like, how do you teach your athletes to critically think about what they're doing? in that sense, ask why, um, you know, what are some of those conversations that that you have with your kids?
2: Well, I think, uh, I think an advantage that I have is a lot of people, uh, you know, when they say, I wish I would have done this, or like, I wish like, you know, I would have gone about this differently. It's typically they are like, I wish I would have worked harder. I wish I would have, cared a little more or I wish I would have, you know, done this with my swing, whatever it might be. My advantage is I've never not worked hard enough. I've almost done too much. So I really understand what it's like to be in a cage or to be in the box and not be able to turn your brain off. And you're like, I got to go until I'm perfect. And I've been there, and it has really, really hurt me as a player because you chase perfection in this game of baseball, like, you're just going to keep running around looking like a dummy because, like, it's never going to be there. So when I'm talking to my younger guys and they immediately throw out, like, a why, or, like, well, I can't do this because, and, and, you know, like, that just doesn't work. I honestly just kind of look at them And I let them talk again because like, you know, it is with little kids or like some younger guys. Like if you just don't give them an answer straight up, they'll just keep talking. And when they get to that second gear where they're not going to stop talking, they honestly almost answer their question right then and there because, you know, like they, they kind of just start rambling. they're like, Oh, well, maybe maybe I could do this because like, I guess I could see what you're saying and maybe it might work at some time tomorrow. Who knows? I don't know. And then I'm just like, Hey, wait, 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 what did you just say? Like, what do you mean? Like, no, no, no. What did you just say? Oh, maybe I could do it. Yes. There you go. Right there. Boom. Try it. Let's go. Like, there you go. Right. Like I didn't even have to tell you. And I think by doing that, putting that power in them that like they actually answered their own question. And then always telling them, like, you know your answer, right? Like, you take five bad swings in a row. I'm not immediately going to tell you this is what you're doing wrong. Like, you know your answer. Find it. Find it. Find it. And sometimes what they tell me is, no, it's not the right answer. But, like, if they had a better swing, I'm going to tell them absolutely. Like, great swing, dude. Like, you you got it yourself. Because you're going to go home and they're going to play video games. Like, they're not going to remember that in-depth dialogue like not yet at least you know what i mean so like that confidence that starts building in their head and that like oh i can do this on my own almost like i can really problem solve and i can like feel things out i think that goes a really really long way and teaching them that is more or less just like letting them do it not beating it out
0: Yeah, bro. That's such a good point. We see it a lot just at an easier level, like exercise selection, you give kids autonomy of, Hey, you just got to, you got a squat variation and then they'll get after a little more. Right. Or or then even when it comes to asking questions, they'll say, Hey, what's a single leg dumbbell RDL. And you'll say, well, you know, you know, the answer to that. Why don't you tell me what you think it is? Oh, well, I think I stand on one leg and hold a dumbbell and then do an RDL with it. And you're like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And my thing is always like, you should, dude, you should take my job. Yeah. Like, do you I, want the I, shirt? You yeah. know what I mean? Here, you yeah. got it. You can go on the payroll. Yeah. Um, and I think that just does such an awesome job of just like empowering them yeah. as athletes, right? Instead of saying me as the coach with my arms crossed, yeah. right? I say like, oh, you stand on one leg and you grab a heavy, right? You like, let them work through it. Mm-hmm. And then again, maybe they forget that conversation. I have to ask you again, or maybe the next time it comes up they think, Oh yeah, I talked to this about coach or they're at home and mom asked them to do something and they want to go up and ask questions. They say, you know what? I just overcame this at the gym. Let me see if I can do this at home. I don't want, I don't want my little brother to go grab this thing for me. Right. Like I'm going to figure out how to do it. Um, and I think, I think all that stuff is just great points. And I'm, I'm so glad you brought those up. Um, Duncan, I want, I want to start wrapping it up with a, with a couple questions, man, not like a ton of continuity, but just some, some easier questions that I'd, I'd love to hear your answers to. Um, if you're cool with that, man, then we'll, then we'll, then we'll get you out of here. Um, so first one, bro, you got some, some custom shoes, and this is just scrolling back to through social media a little bit. And, you know, maybe the last. Um, comment about the old force days but you got some custom lifting shoes that said live light lift heavy on them mm-hmm. tell us tell us what that means to you
2: that that is that is like my my mantra almost like I don't necessarily have one and if I did it's probably either he be worthy from Thor or great power comes great responsibility and going back to the first start of the podcast if if live light lift heavy is up there with those two phrases for me. Like, you know, it means something. And uh, like, I think it really is like as simple as it sounds, right? Like live light, lift heavy. Like, don't let the burdens of everyday life like really hold you down. Because I think we've all been through some things enough to where we can remember there was light at the end of the tunnel time and time and time again. So, you know, I think it's a great reminder, like when you're going through some stuff, like you're not going to, you're not going to feel this way every day. You know what I mean? Like you could wake up tomorrow, things could change, you'll have a great day. That's the live light aspect of it and serve others, which is, is a, one of the biggest things Tyler taught us, right? Is like serve others. I mean, I have a, my tattoo right here, bigger than me. That's where a lot of that comes from. And then the lift heavy aspect is, is. Dude, lift heavy. You know what I mean? Like, like throw some weight on a bar, challenge yourself, and pick it up. You know what I mean? Because that's where you, you embrace challenge. Like, it is an inanimate object. I always, I love to tell this to some of, my, some of my guys in the weight room that, like, you know, they're, they're not, like, unleashing that beast inside them that will help them lift some weight. Like, you have an inanimate object in front of you. You are living. Like, you control that thing. Like, you're not going to let that thing control you invoke fear in you. You invoke fear in it. Like, go get it. You know what I mean? I, I'm always yelling that. Like, just go get it. And that's where, like, just lift heavy. That's how I always felt in there. It was like, no, no, no. Who cares? Go do it. Go lift it. You know what I mean?
0: Force adaptation, baby. Lift hmm. something heavy. Pick something heavy up off the ground. Optimize those, those hormones. Um, favorite sports movie? Favorite Ooh. sports movie? We talked a lot about movie. What's your favorite sports yeah, movie?
2: Yeah, um, I'll tell you what. Honestly, I, I the first one that comes to my mind is Never Back Down. Greatest MMA movie. I think, honest to God, that I've ever seen in my life. Like I, I was yeah, just movie, talking about
0: that movie like last dude, week.
2: So good. Like that movie had me wanting to literally do MMA when I was younger. Like I I don't know what it is about it. Like yeah, sure. There's probably there's there's a ton of sports movies out there that are so much, like, I guess, better plots or, like, like, this or that, right? Like, but that movie is just, like, inspiring as hell to me. And, and I, I could probably quote that movie through and through. And every time I watch it, I'm going to want to do MMA right after it.
0: Bro, that's have you seen that, James? Never back down.
1: Oh,
2: it's so good.
0: Yeah. What, what's funny about it is, like, nothing stood out to me after watching it. Thinking like this was an awesome movie.
1: Yeah,
0: I just know I I really enjoyed it.
1: Great yeah. soundtrack. But I don't dude. think like.
2: Oh, yes oh yeah. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like the acting's not incredible, yeah. right? Like the the directing's not. But there's something about it that just makes it like super enjoyable to yeah. watch. um it's a dude, that's great. classic underdog how, how about
2: story? Classic
0: underdog story. How about baseball? You have a favorite baseball movie?
2: Bull Durham. Bull Durham for sure. Bull Durham. Same
0: answer as uh, Jordan Krauss from episode yeah. 30. How about that? Um
2: it's unbeatable.
1: See, I've always liked Major uh, League better, but maybe that's because I'm <laughs> Cleveland through and through. And-
2: yeah, I can see that. I can see that.
0: Yeah, back to the minors. I remember I probably, I probably watched 12 times one spring break when I was, when I was oh, younger. Maybe I'll watch the other ones. Yeah. Um, all right, Indianapolis guy. You're an Indianapolis guy. I'm an Indianapolis guy went to school like 20 minutes from where I grew up. What is your favorite Indianapolis bar for people who?
2: Mm. Wow. That is, I'll tell you what, I think, uh, I think brothers is a staple. I think that's a staple, but uh, it's either 13 bit or is it 16 bit? I think it's 16 bit downtown now. It is a arcade bar. Um, It's just off of Mass Ave. I can't remember exactly what, um, road it's on, but dude, that is a ton of fun. It's like a bu- bunch of arcade games. Everything's free. Um the drinks are like uh oh I can't remember what I can't think of the word it is, but like they had, oh, oh themed. They're themed. The drinks are themed. Right. So I know they have one that's called the Hulk. So obviously I love it. Um but that is like a really cool place to go and, and have a good time and it's not gonna it's not gonna make your pocket go go empty.
0: Um all right, last question, man. We like to we like to wrap up um, all of our guests with this, and we've answered this probably three, four, five, six different times, and I think those are the best conversations that we have is when like this question consistently keeps getting answered. But um, you know, if there's anything that you think that we haven't touched on or something that you want to touch on again, to answer this question, feel free to do so. Um, But I'm so interested to ask high performers, um, especially high performers in the industry, what they think we as strength and conditioning coaches and we in sports and sports as sports performance coaches are missing in the industry, like the big chunk, if we're standing up and speaking to a thousand coaches, like what's the one thing that you think we're, we're missing in the performance industry.
2: The the truth behind sports-specific training or bodybuilding training or powerlifting training or your basic just model of a program, any one of them could be right, any one of them could be wrong. And it it, it is individualized. Like I think you and I had talked a little bit one time about sports-specific training and like. You know, there are guys out there that will literally say like a baseball player should not back squat or bench, but it's completely fine for like your women's tennis player to go bench and back squat because it's different demands and yada yada. Like, no, like, that, that, that doesn't exist. Like it is way more individualized towards what we think the mantra or the stereotype needs to be versus individualized for the athlete. And it might require a little extra time, a little extra work. And I understand, especially for college strength coaches, high school strength coaches, you only got so much time in the day. You only get so much time with them. But spending that extra day where you might not be lifting and lifting heavy and the guys, girls, they might be getting a little annoyed. But going over, like, mobility, how you move, trying to see everybody and how they move. And that goes a really, really long way because if you can get some type of assessment up, some type of understanding about who you got, now maybe you know who your athlete is that can squat, that shouldn't squat just, just yet. And then you go from there versus, oh, you play baseball? Eh, no bench. No bench. You're not allowed to get big. You're not allowed. Just stop. Like, stop right there. Oh, you play soccer? Like, Why would we ever, like, get any type of, like, strength thing done? Because all you do is run. But you still need to be strong, but I don't care. You're just going to run, right? Like, it's those things. Like, really deep, like, diving deep into what an athlete might need, not just stereotyping it based on what sport you see. To a
0: great point. Where... Where can we find you, man? Talked about your Twitter a little bit. We talked about your Instagram a little bit. Um, give us your tags. Give us your handle. Let us know where, where our listeners can find you. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I am uh, Hewitt underscore Duncan on Twitter. Uh, Duncan Hewitt straight through, I think. Actually, let me check on that. Because my Instagram just got hacked recently. So my name was changed to the only real Duncan something. So <laughs> I, had to, I, had to, I had to fix it. Sounds like
0: something I would do. Did I hack yeah. it? I know, right? It?
2: Yeah. <laughs> So on Instagram, I'm Duncan Hewitt underscore. That was, that was right. That was the one that I was able to get. Yeah, I, uh, and you know, you'll know it's me. I have like three accounts on Instagram now. One is from when I was really young. That one is, is uh, private. The other one is the one I had to make to message the guy that hacked me that I was coming for him and I was gonna find him. And then the one now is the one that I, I use and you'll see it because you'll see Spider-Man stuff uh some some other marvel stuff and a couple homers on there. So that's the
0: one. That's the one. Yeah, dude, that's that's how you know it's real. Hey, hey bro, thanks so much for coming on, man. This was an awesome conversation. Had a ton of fun, bro. Thanks for like uh, telling us a little bit about you and your story and then and taking these deep dives with us, man. You know, like I said, the best conversations that that we tend to have on here are super organic. They're not crazy structured. Um, But I think we got a lot of really good info out for people. So uh, this has been episode 31 of of cutoffs and coffee with Duncan Hewitt, man. Again, thank you so much for being on. Again, if you're listening to the podcast, we ask you at the end of every episode to do three things for us. One, please continue to practice gratitude two, tell the people that you love that you love them. And three, we got one life. Let's live that life stimulated. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see y'all next